hope everyone's doing good today. Thanks, Jacob. I wanted to incorporate Jacob somehow in this. So I was like, you can bring my plant up because <laughs> he'd do so great. Uh, give Jacob a round of applause. He killed it. Killed it. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I get to uh, start with the minor prophets, and I'm really excited to be preaching out of Hosea today. And there's four things, uh, points that we want everyone to take away as we go through uh, the minor prophets. And the first one is the prophets are messengers sent by God to call the people of God back to covenantal faithfulness. God is uh, consistently faithful to his people even when we fall short. So that's the first one. Second one, the Old Testament covenant was an agreement between God and Israel. When a covenant is broken, the relationship is broken. There is a fallout from the broken relationship. The third, the prophet's invitation is to reflect and restore a broken covenant, coming back in relationship with God and restoring the faithfulness of Israel to the covenant relationship. And finally, when the covenant is restored, the people live as God had called them to live. They understand their calling as kingdom people and live in that kingdom reality. So um, I have three kids, three kids, and uh, one, two of them are six, Zeke and Avery, and then Ellie is our four-year-old. And I'm constantly um, just observing them, you know, because they do weird things. Anyone who has kids, you'll be just, uh, you know, watching TV, and then your son Zeke will just be upside down watching the show, you know? And we've all been there, like, I I've done that before, you know, watching X-Men. And, or, you know, you'll see some cute things that you're just like, oh. I can't believe, like, you're just so precious. Example, Ellie. This happened actually the other day. Um, she uh, has a crush, you know. Uh, she has a crush. And it's, you know, it's cute. It's innocent. And, um, and she, we were all around the, the, the table, and her crush was uh, eating food of us. And so she was whispering. She was like, I think he's cute, and I want to give him flowers. <laughs> And then she would go to Sam, I think he's cute, and I want to give him flowers. And I'm like, sure, like, why not, you know? And, like, when we mean flowers, we mean we like, weeds, you know, that are growing in our backyard. And so she, she picks the flowers, and, and uh, she's, she's brave because I'm like, dang, like, I don't know if, I, I mean, Zeke would never do this, you know? He would be like, hey, can you tell your sister I have a crush on you, you know? That's what us guys would do when we were that age, you know? And so Ellie gets the, the courage, and she's going to tell her crush that she's, she's going to give him flowers, you know? And, uh, and so I'm, like, on the deck, and I see her, and she gives him flowers, and then he laughs. He laughs. And Ellie, like, she's kind of, I can tell she's embarrassed, you know, and, um, but she, she tries to, like, hold back her tears. It's really sad. <laughs> like, she's holding back her tears because she's embarrassed because she, you know, got up the courage to, to get flowers. And there's a bunch of other kids around, too, and she's holding back her tears, and she starts laughing, too, because she's trying to hold back the tears. And my heart breaks, you know, and then Ellie, so then Sam sees this as well, and she's like, Ellie, Ellie, come here, and she runs to Sam and just starts crying in Sam's arms. It's really sad, and like, I like the kid, like, he's a good kid, but inside, I'm like, 
you little punk, you know? <laughs> you little punk. Like, you're, you're a good kid. You, you didn't mean to hurt my daughter's feelings. But this almost sense of protection arose inside of me where I'm like, I never want you to come to my house again, you know? And your mom and dad are on a date, and they they're having a good time, and I don't want to interrupt that, but I kind of want to make you walk back home all the way to Lee's Summit, you know? And it, it was just, it was, I had this thought afterwards, because, you know, we, we, we comforted Ellie. We, we said, you know, we were like, you're so brave. We're so proud of you that you were able to, you know, show, you know, that, that you wanted to do this, even though it wasn't the outcome that you thought. And, um, and it just reminded me that when I read scripture, there's, there's moments in scripture, like this text we're going to go over, that are kind of like, ooh, that's, that's kind of weird, you know? Or I don't know if I like that or if I agree with that, or I don't like maybe how some of the language that's being used. I'm, I'm reminded that God is a loving father, right? He's loving, and, and there's, there's times where he sees us doing things where he's, he's going to protect us and he's going to bring us closer to him. But then there's also times where he's, you know, not happy with some of the things that we're doing. For example, um, Zeke was uh, playing with uh, a, a, a car one day, his remote control car. And he kept on like ramming it into this planter you know, that we have. And it was, it was pretty expensive. If you have plants, right, if you have plants, um, these are not cheap, right? And these are almost more expensive than the plant itself. So he's like ramming it into this planter, like any, like I would have done that, right? I would have done that as a, but, in, but then all of a sudden I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, it just seemed fun, you know? It just seemed fun. I wanted to do that. And I, I was quick to remember, like, oh, I would have done that. But there was a sense of, man, I need to correct that. I need to, hey, instead of ramming your car into this expensive planter, why don't you ram it into something of mom's, you know? Destroy her stuff, you know? And, uh, um, but there's, set, there's times where, as a parent, we have to correct. We're like, hey, I love you. And I love you so much. If you break this, I'm going to be really mad. And I don't want to show you maybe how mad I am. So let's correct this and let's, let's, let's detour this and let's do something else. And so in Hosea, there's this, when I'm reading this in the sense of, man, God loves us so much. He is constantly pursuing us. He is constantly going after us, even when we are doing th some things that we shouldn't be doing. Even when we're choosing to go against the things that God has told us to not do. And in Scripture, there's this constant theme of God seeing us in our sin, seeing us in something that is against God, but he still chooses to pursue us. He chooses to come back to us. I mean, he's God. He could have been like, you know what? I'm going to do this whole flood thing all over again. And instead of saving one family... I'm killing everyone, you know. He could have done that, but God loves us so much that he doesn't want to do that. He wants to pursue us over and over and over. And so in this, uh, in the book of Hosea, there's um, three parts that I want to walk us through. It's, there's this marriage, there's uh, an adultery, 
and the restoration. And where that's paired up as is God's original covenant marriage with his people was at Mount Sinai, right? So he tells Moses to go up, here's the tablets, I'm going to form a covenant relationship with you, and your people are going to be like, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, be over you, and I'm going to protect you. And when Moses walks down, what does he see his people doing? He sees people worshiping other gods. They're doing some crazy things. So this moment that Moses had with God was quickly like, man, what are you guys doing? But it's a small glimpse of what we do. We have this amazing moment where we're following God, but then maybe something distracts us, right? Something leads us astray where God is not the most important thing in our life, right? Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's uh, a sin that we can't give up, but we're, we, we want to serve God. And we want to worship and follow him, but there's this thing that we're like, man, I, it's so hard to give up God. I don't know if I can, but God's like, man, I, I love you regardless, and I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to help you get over that, and you're going to follow me, and there's this constant sense of God pursuing us, and then there's this idolatry, right? Moses came down, they're worshiping other gods, which equals unfaithfulness. I don't know about you, but I don't, I haven't looked in my neighbor's backyard and seen them worshiping like a golden calf before, right? Where I'm like barbecuing and I'm like, oh, there's a DJ and like, there's a gold calf. Like, what is she, like, and there's, like, incense and fire and smoke. You know, that, that's, that's a kind of almost a foreign concept where we see constantly in Scripture that God, they're worshiping idols, right? Like, physical things to re- represent God. That's a foreign concept, but it does equal unfaithfulness. So we can look in our lives and think, man, where have I been unfaithful to God? You know, what sin am I holding on to? Is it pride? Is it, um, is it lust? It, what sin is, am I constantly drawn back to that is getting in the place of God? And then finally, this goes into he constantly is renewing the covenant. He's constantly saying, hey, like, I, I know this is what you're stuck at, but I, I love you so much. I want to restore you, and I want to bring you back to me. So in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, marry a prostitute and have children, for the land commits great idolatry by forsaking the Lord. That's Hosea 1 through 2. Which is kind of weird, right? He said, hey, go marry a prostitute. Marry someone who is unfaithful, who is uh, with other men. I want you to marry this prostitute. What he was doing is he wanted to show what Israel was always doing to him. It was a picture. He wanted to show that you, Israel, someone who I love, I am constantly pursuing you are constantly turning away and being unfaithful to me. You're, you're, you're being a prostitute, and you're, and you're prostituting yourself to other gods around me. And I love you so much. And, 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 and he's a picture of Hosea in this, in this passage where he says, hey, I am constantly going to be going after you, and I love you even though you're cheating against me. See, God has chosen us from the beginning of time he has pursued us. You know, there's constant examples. The garden, when, when Adam and Eve first sin, right? 
when, when, they, when they eat the fruit that God told them not to eat, what, is it, what does it say? It says God was looking for them in the garden. He was pursuing them. You know, God knew what Adam and Eve did, right? He's God. He's, he's, he's going to know, like, oh, like, they ate the apple, you know, or they ate the fruit. God knew exactly what happened, but there's this picture of he calling out to them, pursuing Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? And they were so ashamed of what they had done that they hid, which is, you know, an example of us, really, right? When we sin against God, when we do something that's unfaithful, we are sh- ashamed. And we're like, we, we almost try to hide ourselves or, or we sweep it on the rug. You know, God, I'm sorry. I- I'm not going to do that again, you know? But there's this, there's this hidden factor to it where what God is, is calling us to is give him that sin, but then also probably bring people around you yourself, right? Because when we keep things hidden, it's easy to come back up, you know? But if, you know, if I'm struggling with some, something and I'm like, hey, you know, Caleb, this is what I'm struggling with. This is the thing that I need help with. Can you hold me accountable to that? You know, we bring it to light and we say, God, help me with this issue. Um, then there's the temple, right? So we, uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and then he set up this temple example where, hey, you can come worship me in the temple. You know, there's going to be this, this veil that's I'm behind, but I'm still there with you. That's why uh, Israel set this temple is so they can still be with God. And then finally there was Jesus, right? Where, you know, we sinned, we sinned against God, but then Jesus said, you know, I'm going to get rid of this temple, and I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice for the world, because I love you so much. I love you so much. So the next part is unfaithfulness, the, uh, the, the adultery, right? Says the, um, and then one thing I want to speak on, because when you read uh, different translations of this text. Uh, some will say prostitute, like the one that we had uh, today, but there's other translations where it uses pretty strong language. It uses the word whore or whoredom, and when, when, you're, um, when you're reading that, you're like, oh man, God, like, why are you using that word? <laughs> you know, like, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, we were saying today, like, when, you, when you're reading that and that word whore pops up, you're kind of like, taken aback, you're like, oh man, like that's, that's a crazy harsh word to put against someone. And what this writer is doing is he's not trying to label her or say, or bring her down in society, right? He's not trying to say, hey, this woman was less than other people, or um, she's, she's not, God doesn't love her. He, the writer is just speaking on an occupation that she was choosing to live, right? That she was choosing to, um, uh, you know, uh, be unfaithful and sleep around. It wasn't uh, to, you know, label or to bring down this woman. It was to say, hey, this was the occupation lifestyle that she chose. And honestly, like, like when, you know, back in that time period, the world was very chaotic, right? And there, there, there was, you know, if you were rich, you lived a certain lifestyle, but then if you're poor, then you lived maybe a lifestyle that represented what this woman was living. So I don't know, it doesn't go into deep detail of her backstory or what she was doing, but there, there has to be a sense of there's a reason why she chose this, this, this occupation, it's not like, hey, I'm going to one day just do this, right? It's, it's the world around her was chaotic and crazy, and um, 
you know, she had very limited options. So during that time period, Israel was split into two kingdoms. They were referred to as the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Hosea lived in the Northern Kingdom, and in that time period, kings were constantly getting assassinated. They were being killed, they, they, one would rise up, and then a couple months later, they would just be taken out. And so the, the, the cultural standpoint in the, the world of that time was very chaotic. And the Assyrians were also pressuring the king of the Israels. They were saying, hey, we're going to invade. We're going to come in. We're going to take over. And so Israel had this choice to follow God or the gods around them. And I, I look at this time period and I think when, and I think upon my life where when I'm feeling pressured and I'm feeling uh, the walls are caving around me and things are chaotic in my life, I tend to choose things that maybe don't make sense right? I tend to choose like, oh, I know that God is good, and he is faithful, and he constantly loves me, and he's pursuing me. I know that. I went to church. I go every, every single week, but this might be the easier way. And so what I mean by that is uh, Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom, and that's where the temple was set up. That's where the Israelites can worship God. But when it split, now the northern kingdom couldn't go down into the southern kingdom to Jerusalem to worship God. And so they were like, what do we do? Do we set up, two dif- uh, do we set up a different temple? Which they did. They actually set up two. They set up one at the very top and one at the very southern. Or do we also worship other gods, right? What do we do? And so in this chaotic, crazy world, the pressure of life was all around them. And they chose to worship other gods, and to, and to um, you know, be unfaithful to God. And one of those gods was Baal. And Baal was the god of life and fertility. This is ironic because Baal was a false god, and the people had the real god all along, but they chose to seek the other. They chose to seek the other. So I have a cactus up here, all right? This is uh, one of the plants that I have, uh, cactuses that I have. And um, these are very hardy plants. These are very hardy plants. They're, um, I believe that they're hard to kill. But I don't know if you've had a cactus and maybe you're like, those are super easy to kill. I know why. I know how you killed it. Um, uh, So these are very easy plants. They only need uh, really one ingredient. It's the sun, right? And a little water, right? You need a little water to give plant life so it can grow, but it primarily needs the sun. So if you were to get a cactus and you have an apartment where there's like no sun that goes into your apartment, do not get one because you will kill it. (laughs) It needs sun to uh, bring it life to help it grow. And then a little water. Um, What a lot of people do though is they have the sun, right? They have a good window that gets bright light. Um, But then what they do to kill it is they overwater it. That's what kills uh, cacti uh, primarily all the time. And so they'll look at it and be like, oh, I watered it last week, and they'll give it a little water. Oh, did I water it this week? I don't know, and they'll give it more water. But the, the thing that I tell people all the time is err on the side of less watering, right? Err on the side of less watering. Because what happens is when you overwater it, it rots in the roots because it doesn't have time to absorb the water. The water and the moisture inside this planter is bringing rot upon the roots, and that's what kills the cactus. And the reason why I bring that up is I believe one of the 
primary reasons we choose to be unfaithful to our God is we do what we tend to do to this cactus, right? We overwater our lives with things that maybe don't matter, right? We are, um, you know, busy constantly all the time, and so we maybe don't have time to read scripture, or our prayer time with God is very limited, and uh, we're, we don't have time to abide and sit with God. Or, or maybe we're feeling the stress of life, and so we bring other sin upon our life to replace and get in, uh, because it's maybe fitting need that we feel like God isn't fitting. And so what happens is when we overwater or we overfill our life with things that are taking the place of God, then our life tends to rot around us right? Things tend to start to die, and now all of a sudden we're like, man, I feel like the walls are caving in. I don't know what to do, and we are lost, and we don't know what to do, so we are like, God, help me. Help me with this, and so we are committing adultery to God when we try to replace him, and so when we overfill, and we bring water, and we, and, and we, and we put things in our life that don't matter, it's replacing God, but God doesn't leave us there, right? There's this constant pursuing us in restoration that he has for us. And in the book of Hosea, that's what he shows us. It says in Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is adulterous. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and some barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the prostitute or belong to another man. So I will be with you. See the Hosea, the story of Hosea does not dwell on the actions of Gomer. The story of Hosea dwells on God's actions through Hosea which is buying his wife back, cleaning her up, and restoring her. Gomer is a picture of us, and Hosea is a picture of God. Um, we live in a superhero culture, right, where we're constantly looking uh, to these heroes coming down and saving us. And I tend to uh, look at myself as like, oh, I'm going to be that hero, right? I'm going to be the one that's saving. And we need to be reminded that God is the one who is that one who's going to save us and clean us up and be there with us. That, again, this, this story represent of Hosea going in and buying his wife back, that is a picture of God for us in our lives. So whatever thing that it, that's in your life that's replacing God, he is there to be like, hey, I am here to help you and restore you and bring you back to me. He's there to rescue and clean us up. Eric J. Tooley says this. He says, he will do whatever it takes to restore her to himself, even if she currently has no intention of changing her ways. Uh, there's a scripture in Romans that says, why you were still sinning, Christ died for you. You know, there's that constant reminder that even amidst our sin and our shame and our pain and the thing that we're embarrassed about, that Christ is there with us to restore us and bring us back to him. 
Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, each time you fall, he'll pick you up. He knows your own efforts are never going to bring you anywhere near perfection. Other examples of restoration in the Bible is, you know, King David. King David uh, chose to, uh, you know, sleep with another woman while the kings were away. And God brings a prophet, Nathan, in to restore him, to call him and say that, man, God loves you, and this is not the plan that he has for you. Another example is Peter, right, where Peter uh, was kind of crazy. He cut some ears off, and, and, uh, and, uh, and Jesus constantly said, hey, what you did does not define you because remember what he did was he denied Jesus. There's a sense where he was embarrassed and he's like, oh, like Jesus is dying. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I didn't follow him. You know, I, I, I'm denying that I was ever a disciple of, of his. And so, you know, Jesus is that example of coming back to him and said, Peter, feed my sheep. And then there's this other example that's pretty you know, pretty obscure is uh, Barabbas, you know, where, where Jesus is um, uh, in front of Pilate, and Pilate's like, hey, who do you want to free? And everyone's like, Barabbas, Barabbas. Barabbas was this criminal, this person who caused a rebellion against Israel. And Jesus, even in this small passage of Jesus taking Barabbas's place on the cross, shows that, hey, I am going to take Barabbas's place, what was meant destruction for Barabbas in this moment, I am going to die for Barabbas. And then lastly, the final example is Paul. You know, Paul was this person who was killing Christians, who was going out and, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, a, a major figure against the early church. And then Christ, said, uh, Christ reveals himself to him, and he quickly turns away and follows Jesus. Throughout scripture, there is this common theme of people living a certain life, living against God, but God restoring and bringing back to him. If I can have the worship team come up. As I'm constantly reminded in scripture and through the book of Hosea where God goes to Hosea and says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute, someone who is unfaithful, because this is a picture of what Israel is doing to me. I want you to buy her back. I want you to love her. I want you to um, restore her life. I want that to be a reminder to you this morning that no sin, no shame that you're holding on to is greater than the love of our God. It's, it's nothing that you're embarrassed about to bring forward or even to maybe have accountability around is greater than God's love for you. I mean, th think of the cultural time period of that where God tells Hosea, hey, marry a prostitute. I mean, that was weird back then, too. You know, that, that's not a normal thing to ask of. And Hosea, being faithful to God, says, okay. And he goes and marries and loves and cleans her up and restores her. You know, that was counter of what was happening with the gods around them. You know, if you were not a good, you know, worshiper of the gods around you, they would throw you out and they would say, man, you're, you're useless. You belong to, in hell. 
you know. But God, amidst our sin, says, you are worth it, and I love you, and I will pursue you, and I will bring you back to me. One thing that I have struggled with, if you know my story, is the shame aspect, right? This, 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 when you, once you give, you know, um, your sin and your struggle to God, there's this sense of like, man, is God's love really going to restore and bring me back? I, I know I, I, I say and I believe it, but there's this aspect of I am so shameful of what I have done and I'm embarrassed by it. God, are, are you sure that you're going to accept that? Are you sure that you're going to love me and restore me? Because there's times because of the shame of what's inside of me, I tend to be like, God, are, are you sure? But I'm constantly reminded through scripture that regardless of what you have ever done, the shame that you hold on to, and maybe you're embarrassed, God says, man, I love you and you're worth it. So there's three areas that I want you to take away from this scripture. And the first one is abide in Christ. So some of you might have to maybe simplify your life, right? You know, uh, let go of certain things, maybe things that are getting away of your relationship with Christ, or maybe um, are an idol, or it's, it's taking away from time with God. I, I challenge you, maybe give that up, right? Say, God, like, you, your relationship with me is worth me not doing this anymore. That could be sin. That could be some activity that you're, like, that you're part of. That could be, you know, like, uh, something that's not in sin. But it's like, man, I need to prioritize my life in relationship with God. Abide in him. That's reading scripture. That's, pr um, that's uh, praying to him. That's um, spending time with God. Second is accept the forgiven life. You know, like I said earlier, uh, Hosea is a, is a picture of God. And Gomer, the, the woman that Hosea um, uh, chooses to restore and clean up and marry, is a picture of us. You know, it doesn't focus much on her feelings in this passage. It just really focuses on the restoring work of what God did for her. But, I, you know, I, I can sense shame and... and um, and guilt of maybe the lifestyle that she chose, you know, because um, I believe that we all have that at certain times as well. We're, we're, we're so shameful of what we have done, and we just need to accept that Christ loves us and restores us and brings us back to him. So whatever sin or shame that you are embarrassed of, like give that to God and also surround yourself with people that maybe knows what you did or what you struggled with, because they're going to love you regardless. They're going to be like, man, I, I know that this is something that you're embarrassed about, but I love you because that's not who you are. I love you, and I'm here for you. So accept the forgiven life. And then finally is prioritize a Jesus community. That goes into what I was just saying. You need to surround yourself with people who are loving you, who are there to walk with you, who are there to build you up and say, man, I know you messed up here, but I'm still your friend. I still love and I'm still going to hang out with you. Or the opposite, call you out on that, right? Hey, 
You shouldn't be doing that. That's not good. That's not faithful to God. That's not faithful to your family. That's not faithful to those around you. I love you so much to leave you amidst that sin and that pain that you are going to face. So prioritize people who love you and regardless of what you've ever done, but then can call you out when you need to be called out. Hosea is this beautiful picture of God restoring this woman who was unfaithful and who chose this life that was probably brought on because of hardship, but regardless, he loved her. And if you all can bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to just think of that love. Think of that love regardless of maybe what you've done or been through. Think of that love that God has for you, of regardless of what you ever did, he will pursue you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a good father, a good friend, a good um, God, Lord. Thank you for pursuing us and restoring us and building up the brokenness that we may be caused. Thank you for uh, cleaning us up and giving us life. Lord, help us to abide in you. Take moments in our life where we're reading scripture, where we're spending time with you. Help us to accept the forgiven life where we let go of that shame, we let go of that pain, we let go of the things that we're embarrassed to talk about. And lastly, Lord, help us to find good friends who will love us, who will accept us, who will maybe even call us out when we're struggling or we're doing things that we shouldn't, Lord, when we're being unfaithful to you, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.